First, oh, there we go. First Timothy chapter number six. I want to thank Pastor Yeomans for the opportunity to preach this morning. I'm thankful for the chance to open up God's word, but I'm convinced he had an ulterior motive. I don't know if you saw the, the screen behind me here. It says money matters. I was assigned this topic and I am excited about it, but we're going to talk about money today. And so I thought maybe some people would stay home uh, because we're going to talk about money. Uh, but no, the next two weeks, we're going to start a new series, and it's called Money Matters. And I'm excited about it. We want to look at the scriptures, and really it's a bit of a, a double meaning here. We want to look at uh, what the Bible says about the matters of money. And we also want to see that the Bible clearly teaches that what we do with our money matters. It's important. And so we're going to look at money matters. There's an old social rule. I'm sure you've heard of it, right? Three things to never talk about. Religion politics, and money, all right? So today I promise not to talk about politics because we're going to talk about the other two, all right? So money matters. And uh, today in church, we did something very special. Pastor Yeomans talked about it. He mentioned it. We sang for the first time in 2021, we sang some Christmas hymns, some Christmas carols. And really, that's just a, a reflection and a reminder that it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. The holidays are on us. They're upon us. They're coming. And the holidays are often a time when money becomes a great stressor in our lives. There are gifts to buy for others, right? There are secret Santas to be a part of. Uh, there are uh, fundraisers to be a part of. Uh, there are meals to make for family. There's all kinds of opportunities we have to give and to use money. And so sometimes the holidays can be a real uh, time of financial stress for us. Many people say that uh, January and February, the months following the holidays, when those bills start to come due, are some of the most depressing months of the year. There's even a day called Blue Monday, where they say it's the most depressing time of the year because it's the day when all the holiday bills come due and the weather's still bad and poor. And so what our purpose is today, our goal is today, is that before we get to the holidays, before we get to the depression and the frustration, and before we get to the, the terrible weather, before we get to all of that, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say and perhaps do some uh, preventative medicine, some preventative measures to make sure that we handle our finances and steward our finances well over these next few months. This week, or this morning, I'm going to try to tackle uh, and, and approach some of the dangers that the Bible speaks of when it talks about our finances and how we should handle them. And then next Sunday morning, Pastor Holland is going to give us uh, some positive principles about how we can use and invest our finances for the kingdom of God. And so this week, I got the, the fun task of giving you the warnings, the dangers, the, the hard part. And next week, Pastor Holland's going to give you all the great practical tips and advice, all right? And so, 1 Timothy chapter number 6, if you have your Bible open there, 1 Timothy chapter number 6, we're going to read the first uh, 10 verses together this morning. The Bible says this, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let's pray this morning. Father, we ask now that as we open up your word, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to be willing to confront perhaps our previous thoughts or ideas or our actions with the word of God. Help us to be willing to change. I pray that you would work in our midst today. I pray that you would teach us something from your word about how we can steward our finances well, Lord. I ask that you use me and help me to share exactly what you want us to hear this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that the scripture teaches with a very clear warning here in verse number 10 that the danger for us when it comes to the matters of money is really all about our attitude. It's not about our affluence, it's about our attitude. It's less about our riches or our poverty, and it's more about our passions. It's less about what we have in our bank account, and it's more about what we have inside of our heart. The Bible wants to warn us this morning about the matters of the heart. Because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And verse 10 says so clearly that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not the money itself is the issue, but the heart behind it is the root of all evil. Specifically today, when dealing with a heart attitude, I want to look at what this passage teaches us about the attitude of discontentment. Paul is teaching uh, Timothy, uh, a young Timothy, and warning him about the danger of discontentment. Let's read one more time quickly in verse number 6 of our passage. Paul says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And so today, the title of my message is simply this, The Danger of Discontentment. The Danger of Discontentment. You know, we live in a society of total excess. Excess. We have more than we could ever dream of needing. We're blessed beyond what we even understand. Uh, This past couple weeks, our church had the opportunity to partner with uh, Samaritan's Purse. And I know a lot of you were involved in, uh, I think it's called the Operation uh, Christmas Child or Shoebox. And a lot of you put together a shoebox to send to uh, children all over the world who are far less fortunate than us. This week I was talking to Mrs. Kember and she said she was reading the pamphlet uh, from Samaritan's Purse. And she made a statement that just kind of stuck with me. She said that, According to Samaritan's Purse, many of the children this year who will receive a shoebox from us in our church, that will be the only gift they ever receive in their lifetime. Not this Christmas, not this month, but their lifetime. This year, we will receive more gifts, I'm sure, at Christmas than many people across the world will ever receive in their lifetime. The things that we perceive in our society as needs to others around the world are simply just wants and dreams and wishes. And yet, we live in a society that's suffering from a crisis of discontentment. 
You know that most big companies uh, have an entire budget and uh, or part of their organization completely designated simply to make you discontent. They do. It's called marketing, right? That's what marketers' jobs are. Their, their job is to make you discontent. They pay people lots of money to study what you do and what you like and the accounts that you interact with and the things that you search online and the, the friends that you have and the people you follow. And they target ads at you, trying to sell you what they think that you want. They sell your data to others so they can target you exactly with the ad that'll get you to bite. They want to put an ad in front of your face, an advertisement that'll make you discontent with what you have. You know, before we get to Christmas, we're going to come up to another holiday, right? It's called Black Friday. I don't, know, I don't know about you. As a kid, I never remember Black Friday being a big deal. Maybe I was just oblivious to it. I remember Boxing Day. I used to wake up early with my dad after Christmas. We'd go Boxing Day shopping. And part of the fun was just seeing the people, right? It was just seeing all the people who got up early and, and lined up outside to get some new, I don't know, device or whatever it might be. When we were at, uh, at college, all of them were at school in the States, uh, I mean, they go crazy on some of these things. Black Friday, there was literally people killed in Walmarts because of the lines. That's how intense people get about the need for consuming these deals. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that Black Friday and Boxing Day, they're not just a one-day uh, ordeal anymore, right? First it was Black Friday. Now I'm getting emails Black Friday week. This year I've seen Black Friday month, right? There's a pre-sale before the early bird sale, before the sale, all trying to make you discontent and think that what you have is not good enough. The world wants you to be discontent. The devil wants you to be discontent. And I'm convinced that discontentment in our lives does not just show up in our desire for more money or more possessions. You see, the Bible also translates the word content as satisfied. Discontentment is really dissatisfaction with our present situation. Dissatisfaction with our present situation. And I believe that this discontentment is really the sin that's mentioned in the Ten Commandments, covetousness. Wanting what we don't have and desiring that which God has not chosen to give to us. The Bible does not mess around when it speaks of covetousness. It's very clear. Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says this, Let your conversation, let your life be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Discontentment is so much greater than wanting more or wanting something that we don't have. Let's be honest, what discontentment is, is a dissatisfaction with God. It's a dissatisfaction with God. There was a Scottish theologian, his name was Thomas Boston. And I want to read this morning some, some, uh, some things he said in a sermon about discontentment. They were helpful to me in understanding the true severity of discontentment in our lives. He said this. He said, discontentment is a mistrusting of God. It amounts to complaining against God's plan. It exhibits a desire to be sovereign. It covets something that God has not been pleased to give us. It communicates that God has made a mistake in our lives, and it denies the wisdom of God and exalts my own wisdom. You see, discontentment is far greater than just wanting something we don't have. It's actually desiring and thinking that we know best, or we know what's best for our life more than God does. 
thinking that the things we want and the things we desire and the things we think we need, our life would be so much better if we had them. And not trusting in what God has allowed us in the situation he's allowed us to be in. Discontentment is truly dissatisfaction with God. You see why we must take this so seriously? Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, the Bible says this, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And look at this warning from Colossians chapter number 3 and verse 5. The Bible says this, Mortify, kill therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Believing that we know better about what we need than the sovereign God of the universe, our creator, does. It's not something to joke around and it's something to take seriously this morning. The Bible takes it seriously and we ought to too. And so as we jump in to our lesson today and before we begin to kind of unpack what this passage teaches us about how we can be content, I want to ask you this morning, ask yourself these questions. What are you longing for or coveting coveting after that God has not allowed you to have? What person or relationship are you longing for that God has not allowed you to have? What house in a real estate market that seems impossible to break into are you longing for, coveting after that God has not allowed you to have? What newest and latest and greatest vehicle or phone or gadget or piece of technology are you longing for, thinking it would make my life so much better, but God has not allowed you to have it? What job are you desiring and coveting after and are discontent with your current job because you think, oh man, it would give me so much more financial freedom and my life would be so much better? What are you longing for, coveting after, that God has not allowed you to have? You may think it's not a big deal, but I promise you it is. Discontentment is dissatisfaction with God. Discontentment is idolatry, placing our wisdom and our desires in higher regard than God's sovereignty and his plan for us. And so we see it's a serious problem, something that I think, if we're honest, shows its ugly head in our lives more than we'd like to admit. And so let's look now at the passage and see what's the solution for this problem of dissatisfaction and discontentment. What does this passage in Scripture teach us as a whole about living lives of contentment with God? Number one, contentment comes from having the priority of godliness, not gain. Contentment comes from having the priority of godliness, not gain. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to a younger leader, Timothy, right? Paul was an experienced uh, preacher and teacher, and uh, Paul was in prison. We know this. He, in, in history, he was in prison, and after his time in prison, uh, he goes to Ephesus, where Timothy is, and, and spends some time with the church there in Ephesus and with Timothy. But God calls Paul to move on from his time in Ephesus and head to Macedonia, and so Paul leaves Timothy with the church in Ephesus, and he's writing in this letter back to Timothy and encouraging him to stay faithful in the leadership of the church. He knows he's a young man. He knows he's going to fight battles. He knows it's going to be difficult, but he's trying to encourage him to stay faithful, to fight the good fight, and he's giving him some warnings. These are called pastoral epistles, letters to a young pastor, and they're helpful to us as a modern New Testament church as well. One theme that you'll see, one emphasis you'll see if you read the entirety of this book is that Paul is uh, addressing some false teaching. 
and some false doctrines that have taken place here in the church in Ephesus. And he's encouraging Timothy as the leader to put an end to these things, to watch for them, to avoid them, to be careful with the false doctrine that's going on. He says in, in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 of 1 Timothy, he says, Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There are those in the church who are trying to teach a false gospel or a false doctrine. And throughout the, the, the chapter, he refers to this, and we see this all the way carried through the last chapter here in chapter number 6. Paul begins in the first two verses by giving some instruction to servants and masters, telling servants to honor their master and to work hard for them, especially if he's a, a believing master. But look at verse number 3 with me. He says, If any man teach otherwise... And I believe this is a reference to the teaching on servants and masters and to the false doctrine that Paul has been referencing all throughout this chapter. He says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing. Jump down to verse number 5. The Bible says this, Perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing the gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, there's people who are teaching a false doctrine in the church, and so avoid them. Withdraw yourself from these teachings. And you notice the last teaching that he references there in verse number five is he says, hey, avoid those who are teaching that gain is godliness. There are people in the church who are teaching that gain is godliness. Timothy, avoid them. You see, there was false teachers in the church at that time who believed that godliness was a way to inherit great material gain. You want to be rich? Honor God. Obey God. Follow God. And He will bless you far beyond what you could ever dream. And Paul's saying, hey, avoid that teaching. Godliness is not the pathway to material gain. And you know what? We can look at this and say, wow, that was an issue for the church here in Ephesus. But this is still a very real issue in the greater church today. There are many who teach a prosperity, a fake gospel. You know, we live in a society where it's easier than ever for us to supplement teaching. We can listen to preaching and podcasts and teaching from people all over the world. And that's a great blessing. But I want to encourage you, church, to be careful. Like Paul was encouraging Timothy to be careful. Be careful about whose teaching you're listening to. Be careful about who you're allowing to influence yourself because many of the pastors and teachers with the greatest platforms in the world today teach a version of this same prosperity gospel. That if we do not have the finances and the material goods that we think that we need, it's because we don't have enough faith. You want more money? Have more faith. You want better health? Have more faith. That is not what the Bible teaches. Beware of the false teaching that's going on in the world today. It makes me think back to Pastor Yeoman's series we just finished on being a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Jesus himself did not have a place to lay his head. What makes us think that as his followers we're promised a life of riches and wealth here on this earth? Look at the disciples, the apostles, the men who so closely gave their lives to follow after Christ. Most of them killed, shipwrecked, crucified, beaten. Beware of a theology, of a, of a way of thinking that if we honor God with our lives, He will bless us richly, financially and, financially and materially here on this earth. The problem is not in having finances or goods or gain. The problem is in 
prioritizing them. You see, contentment has the priority of godliness, not gain. Following Jesus is not a pathway to being rich. As we follow God, He may choose in His sovereignty to bless us with a house and with money for a purpose, for a reason, and for a season to live and to give generously and to support ministries. There's reasons why God may choose to bless you. God may also choose to have a lot in life for some of his greatest servants. That means they never have as much as, they na- as their neighbor. It means they never have as much as their family. It doesn't mean we don't have enough faith. It still means that God is sovereign. Beware of the thinking that godliness is simply a path to riches and gain on this earth. Look at verse number 9 of our passage here. We see a, a warning about people who are prioritizing riches. The Bible says this, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, having coveted after, desired, prioritized, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Look at verse number 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. You cannot follow after and pursue and prioritize riches and prioritize God. You can't do it. And so beware of the thinking in your mind that prioritizes riches and wealth and material gain, thinking that godliness is the path that will get you there. You can't serve God and mammon. The Bible teaches us that so clearly. And so flee after material gain and material riches and follow after Jesus. That's the teaching we see. Proverbs 23, the Bible says this, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. But, in verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, the problem is not in the finances or the amount of money we have or do not have. The problem is what we are pursuing and what we are prioritizing in our lives. If in pursuit of Jesus and God and his will, he chooses to bless you financially on this earth, then praise the Lord. But let's make sure that our priority and our pursuit and our north star is God and a relationship with him. You may think, all right, Levi, that sounds good, but I'm not listening to false teachers. I'm not listening to, you know, these uh, prosperity gospel teachers like you say. But I think this theology affects our thinking uh, more than we even realize. We, we want to tell ourselves things like this. Well, I love God and I live for God, and so God wants me to be happy. And I'll be more happy if I have the things that I want. And so why wouldn't God want to give me the things that I want? Because then I'll be happy and God wants me to be happy. It's the same thinking. It's the same doctrine, thinking that uh, godliness is a path to material gain. In our small groups, we've been studying the book of Philippians. Paul just, he had this figured out. In Philippians 3, he famously says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul's pursuit, Paul's aim, Paul's goal was not riches or success. His goal was Jesus. And you know what he found in the, in the pursuit of Jesus? He realized in, in chapter 4, he said this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he says famously in chapter, or verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. As Paul pursued after Jesus, he realized there's joy and contentment and satisfaction in a life that's following after Jesus. Not in a life that prioritizes gain and uses godliness as a pathway for material gain. And so I ask you this morning, are you seeking after God and his kingdom or the things of the world? What is your true north? What is your goal? What is your priority in your life? Your relationship with God? Your walk with him? Living for him and his will? Or your own comforts? Your own finances? Your own retirement? Your own bank account? Let's keep the right priority to have contentment. We must prioritize godliness and not gain. But secondly, this morning, I'd like you to notice with me that contentment comes from having the perspective of the eternal and not the temporal. The Bible is clear. If we're going to be content, we must live for eternity and not for now. Let's look at verse number 7 of our text together in 1 Timothy there. The Bible says this, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. One of the most simple but powerful truths when it comes to helping us live lives of contentment is simply remembering that we came into this world with nothing and will take nothing with us. We can't take it. There's an old joke, you never see a U-Haul truck behind a hearse, right? You just, you cannot take it with you. And some people live their lives in pursuit of building material gain for this world and this life only, forgetting that this life is simply an opportunity to prepare for eternity. You can have all this world's riches, but you cannot take it with you. It makes no difference in the scheme of eternity. Job said that naked I came into the world and naked I go out. We brought nothing with us. I heard someone say this week, he said, not only did we come in with empty pockets, but we came in without pockets to put pennies in. We came into the world with nothing and we'll leave the same way. Our lives, our retirements, the inheritance that we pass on to the children for their lives and grandchildren, these are nothing but a blip, a spot when it comes to eternity, if we could just take a step back and realize how big God is and how long eternity is, I know it's so hard to wrap our heads around. But suffering and going without and living in the poverty line in this world is absolutely nothing compared to the, the abundance and riches that God has prepared for his children in the life to come. We must live with an eternal perspective and view. If you turn with me quickly to Luke chapter number 12, Luke chapter number 12, I'd like to read a few verses uh, for for you this morning from Luke chapter number 12. Here Jesus is teaching the multitude and he's giving a great lesson and he's helping us to understand this lesson about living with eternity in view, not living for today, but living for tomorrow. Luke chapter number 12, and I'd like to read beginning in verse number 32, the Bible says this, fear not little flock. 
For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights be burning. And ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Jesus is teaching us, hey, the Lord is coming back. In our lives, we are to be like that uh, bride who is waiting for her groom to return, preparing ourselves here and now, not for this life and not for success and riches in this world, but for the next, investing what God has given to us for the future and coming kingdom. He says, hey, sell what you have and give alms. Don't live for this life, but live for the next, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So lay up your treasures, lay up your affections, set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Let's be careful to make sure that we're living with eternity in view. So I ask you, are you living for the temporal, the now, the here, the thing that fades? Or are you living and spending and investing in eternity? Are you investing your time and your talents and your treasures on things that will simply rust and corrupt and fade, things that we can't take with us? I give you the same encouragement that Paul gives us in verse number eight. He says, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Having food and clothes and the bare necessities in this life, let us live for eternity, invest in the future, and let us learn to be content with what we have. And so we fight contentment by prioritizing godliness and not gain. We find contentment by having a perspective of the eternal and not the temporal. And I'd like to give you these thoughts as we close this morning. Perhaps you're here listening this morning and there's some discontentment, some dissatisfaction you've realized in your life. Perhaps it's with your financial situation. Perhaps it's with the stage of life that you're in. Perhaps it's with your relationships, your job, your looks. Anything that God has given you, there's some type of dissatisfaction, discontentment. I believe that when it comes to living a life of discontentment, there's two real options. Number one, we never get what we want, so we live a life of comparison and complaining. Some people will leave here today and go on their way living a life of comparison and complaining, never getting the things that they want. That's not the life that we're supposed to live as believers. That's option number one. Option number two, and I think maybe even sadder than the first, is that when we live lives of discontentment, we get the things that we want, and we learn that they never satisfied in the first place. You see, we can put our love and our attention, our satisfaction on things on this earth, this earth, but they will not satisfy us. You can live your life for the next and the greatest and the best and the more, the extra dollar, the financial freedom, but those things will never satisfy us. They will never give us or buy us passage into eternity. They'll never save us from our sin. Only Jesus saves only Jesus satisfies. How sad to think that some will live their lives in discontentment, complaining and comparing, and perhaps if they get the thing they want, they'll just learn how unsatisfying it is. So we must set our goal 
as God and our relationship with him. I want to read to you a few verses here as we close from Psalm 63. The psalmist had this figured out. He said this, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Verse 5, he says this, after following and seeking after God, he says this, My soul shall be satisfied as with the marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Verse 8, he says, My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth thee. What are you following, following hard after this morning? Riches, success, popularity, gain? Or are you following hard after God? You see, the psalmist learned that in seeking after God early and following hard after Him, that his soul was satisfied, his mouth was filled with praise and joyful lips. Want to live a life of joy? Want to live a life of contentment? Don't seek after gain. Seek after God because only Jesus satisfies. And so perhaps today you're struggling with some discontentment. Let's call it what it is. Call it what the Bible calls it, some idolatry. Would you prioritize God? Would you put him number one? Would you seek after him and him alone? And would you choose today to live with an eternal perspective, not living for today, but living for tomorrow, knowing that we came to this world with nothing and will leave with nothing. So let us learn to be content. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us this morning about living lives of contentment. And God, I know that in my own life, you've showed me some areas where I've been dissatisfied with my present situation. And God, I've realized this week in studying that truly what I've been saying to you is that I'm dissatisfied in you. And God, I, I would guess that I'm not alone in that this morning. And so God, I would ask that you would meet with us, that you would convict us, that you'd help us to turn from our sin and turn to you. Lord, if there's someone today who's never put their faith in you, and is trusting in material wealth or anything other than you and you alone as their hope of eternity and hope of heaven, I pray that today that they would turn to you. I ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just one minute. I'd ask you, I want to ask you a couple questions. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to respond, but I just want you to be honest with yourself and with the Lord. What are you pursuing today? What are you prioritizing Success, riches, material gain? Or are you prioritizing your relationship with God? And I ask you this, are you living for today? Are you living for the here? Are you living for the now? Or are you living for eternity? We can live lives of contentment and we can live lives of joy if we seek after the only thing that will satisfy us, which is the relationship with Jesus. We're going to give you a minute right now to talk to God, to respond to him if he's spoken to your heart. There'll be some music that plays, and I ask you just right now to do business with God.